Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining today, she's an addiction, wellness, peer, and supervisor. It's Katie Lau. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what did you like doing growing up? <laughs> well, this is probably not your traditional growing up story. Um, I mean, I think I had like five normal years at the beginning of my life or like what felt normal. And, um, you know, I think during that time, like I was like, I was really certain that I was going to be like the next biggest superstar. So like I spent most of my time like dressing up in costumes and singing songs and making performances and just doing all of that stuff. (laughs) So that was probably like my biggest pastime. I had younger siblings. So it was like always fun to like rally them up and be like, (laughs) okay, so you're doing this, you're doing this. These are the dance moves. I wish I had videos of how ridiculous all of this stuff was when I was young. Was there like an influence, someone that you kind of idolize in regards of having that mindset of wanting to be that superstar? You know, definitely like nobody in my life, but like if I'm thinking back to that period of time, you know, it was like all Whitney Houston, it was Mariah Carey, it was like all of those like divas. So like I felt like I was really trying to live up to that persona. (laughs) Did you feel that Superstar was going to be an easy route if you had gone that route? Like you mentioned that after the first five years, a lot of things happen. Do you kind of, it's kind of like one of those hypotheticals. Do you wish that happened? Do you kind of wish you got to experience that a little bit more than you probably didn't? You know, that's a really interesting question. And I've never thought about that. Like in my mind at that age, I'm pretty sure I was a superstar. Like I had, (laughs) I had achieved that. (laughs) Um, You know, looking back, my life definitely took a different direction than that. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I would change. And it's hard to say because like, whatever path you go down, like you are a completely different person person and like I think I've gotten to the place in my life where I'm really happy with who I am and where I'm at so to risk that for whatever possible alternative you know I don't know if it's worth it at this point talk about that change what was that first NSYNC and what happened next yeah so um so growing up you know I suppose my parents always had struggled with an addiction um And my mom, mental health issues on top of the addiction piece, you know, and, but when you're young, like, you just don't like pick up on those things. So everything seems normal and everybody kind of held everything together. Um, You know, I was close with my mom. She got remarried. Things were good. Um, We moved out to um, a farm, you know, kind of just like outside of town or whatever. And it was like this just kind of like everything seemed like it was coming together. And I think this was in like fourth grade. Um, But that's when things became like apparent for me that they were not normal. And like, I didn't know at the time that my parents struggled with addiction. Um, I just knew that all of a sudden, okay, mom is going to the bar and leaving me responsible for, you know, my siblings who at the time, or well, they're six and eight years younger than me. I have a younger brother and twin sisters. 
And so, you know, she would just kind of disappear and I would be stuck responsible for these kids <laughs> with no resources. And so that was like that kind of like the first red flag. Like at first it was kind of cool because like, oh, you know, let's turn the kitchen into a slip and slide. And there's no way to <laughs> that we can't do that. <laughs> and then, you know, it's like, oh, but we don't really actually have a lot of food. Like, like, what do we do? <laughs> we don't have any resources. We don't have a driver's license. Like we can't get anywhere. We can't do anything. And so it kind of like escalated into this, like, okay, try to keep it together. Don't let, don't let grandma know because we don't want, you know, her to know things aren't okay. Don't let the school know because we don't want DSS coming. And it's like, you just like grow into this, like, you automatically know that this is something that you need to keep a secret. And so that's when things really started to shift for me. Do you feel that you're able to tell your parents like, Hey, we don't have the resources. There's something's not feeling right because you didn't want to go to an outside person to tell them because it could make it a lot worse. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's funny because looking back, like, I don't even know if that was something that I tried to communicate to them, you know, like, I think it was just like, when they were around, things were okay. When they weren't, things weren't okay. Um, But I don't, I don't even know, like thinking back that it ever occurred to me to like, say, hey, (laughs) like, when you're not here, we don't always have food. And like, what I, I don't even know what response I would have gotten to that, you know? Was it too much pressure for a young child, like at your age to be in, in, like in charge of three younger kids? Yes, it was um, ridiculously hard and a lot of pressure for me. And not only did I take on that role, um, the role of the caretaker for the siblings, I really quickly slipped into the role of my mother's caretaker as well. Um, you know, because as we went forward, she started going through this divorce with my stepdad and it was bad because they were both using drugs and, you know, there was just a lot of lies and infidelity and all of that stuff that kind of goes along with that and the drug use. And, um, so my mom, when she would come home, you know, she'd come home after like a couple days of being up and she would just cry. And she would just tell me all these things that were going on. And, you know, at this time I'm middle school. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was things that like, I definitely shouldn't have been hearing at that time, let alone things that I, I shouldn't have been responsible for helping her to cope with. So I was caretaker for my mom and I was caretaker for these kids. And so, you know, for me, like, I just wanted that relationship with my mom so bad. So I, I really fell into this friend role with her. Um, and then middle school, you kind of gravitate towards people that have like similar lifestyles mm-hmm. with you. And so the people that were coming over and hanging out and whatever, they were, you know, people that were smoking pot and doing those kind of things. So I started smoking and drinking and, you know, just kind of coping that way. And that was kind of how my addiction started just because that was too much pressure. And I had no idea like how to even manage that, you know, because the people that you normally would turn to are (laughs) definitely not the ones that are even capable of providing that for you at this point. 
Did you feel with all the pressure, all the roles that you took on, were you able to still be a kid thinking that you were hanging out with the wrong crowd, but you were still being a kid and enjoying the social life that you could have? Yeah, you know, and that's a really great, great question, because like there there are some ways that I grew up so fast, like I, you know, I instinctually knew how to do this caretaking role. And I instinctually, like, I would say my emotional intelligence is really high just from going through that kind of situation. So I didn't really have, you know, that vulnerable time of my life like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I still had fun. (laughs) Like, and I still, (laughs) and I still did stupid, like teenager things for sure. Like I, I definitely got my fair share of living, (laughs) living (laughs) like a, teenager and for sure would you say you had more of a rebellious kind of attitude now because it's like well my mom's not gonna stop me now what else do I have to lose it was it was so funny because like I remember the first time that like I got caught drinking and my mom just kind of like made fun of the situation rather than like oh dealt with the situation and then you know next thing you know you know I'm I'm asking my mom if I can have a beer and she's like yeah whatever and so like for me that it wasn't even like a rebellion. It was like a, this is a way that I can bond with my mom. And if I party with her, then we're buds and maybe she'll hang out more. And so um, that was really something that I, you know, wanted was to party with my mom. And at this point, so she's doing meth. And so we kind of were drinking and smoking pot together at this time. And she'd kind of take me to some of the places that she went and, um, she was using meth in front of me one time and I asked her if I could try some and she said, yes. And so that was the first time that I tried meth and I was 15 years old. Wow. So for me, it wasn't even, it wasn't even a rebellion. It was more of like a way to try to connect and, you know, share that experience with her rather than feel so disconnected from her all the time. Listeners might think, how did this happen? Like the whole role identity between your mom and yourself. And some people will be like, well, if I even tried doing that, my parents would hit me or say something like do a lot more. And I always think when I'm listening to your story, I'm thinking if I even tested my mom, she'd be like, no. And I think I wouldn't be able to um, do that to her because of situations but I think everyone's case is so different Mm -hmm. we aren't living how you were living we weren't experiencing that and there was so much going on and for you to be honest and telling your story it's just amazing and opening up about it because sometimes it's hard to share what was going on you talked about the bond and kind of wanting to be that party with her did it ever get to a stage where it was too much like I have to not I have to break this cycle and be able to say, I'm the daughter, you're the mother. Mm. You know, I've shared my story a lot of times and it's so funny because I learn something every time because people always ask these questions that make me think so deep, but there was like a, a very clear, like switch for me. So at first it was like, yes, partying with my mom, this is great. You know, and then my friends are partying with my mom and like, everybody's partying all the time and doing all this stuff. And like, um, 
I, I kind of got to the place in my life where like, I'm having a lot of consequences from this, you know, like things are really falling apart. I'm in a lot of emotional pain because like, you, that's the nature of addiction. Like it's not, it's not a healthy lifestyle. And also, you know, you just like withdraw yourself from anything that's like positive or healthy because of that shame that kind of goes along with that. And so I'm getting to this place where I'm, you know, I turn 18 and I'm like entering adulthood and I'm starting to, you know, evaluate my life a little bit. And like, how is this actually going to work? Because now I'm responsible for caring for myself and things are not going well. You know, I'm jumping from couch to couch. And if I do get an apartment, like I only have a job for like this long because I can't hold it together. And so I'm like at this point where I'm wanting to make a change. Um, I got arrested for my first time when I was 19 and I spent six months in jail. And during that six months, it was like my first time, you know, first being scared shitless, forgive my language. But like I was like, I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm in jail. I don't know how long I'm going to be in jail for. Like, this is scary. This is overwhelming. Like, this isn't where I want to be. But it also was like, a, okay, so evaluate my life. Like, let's actually look at, like, my mom and where she's at in life. And, like, that's not what I want for myself. That's what I've been chasing, but that's not what I want. Um, and what could my life look like if I wasn't using drugs? And so I really decided, like, this isn't the lifestyle that I want, but I also got that clarity. And it was like the first time I was like, like, what in the hell? My mom (laughs) has been using drugs with me since I was 15 years old. And like, it switched from like this, like wanting this relationship with her so bad to being so resentful to her for not parenting me for not being there for me for not supporting me and for you know just kind of taking advantage of of the situation for what it was and we prior to going to jail like my mom and I had just went through a lot of like really bad experiences you know she had stole some stuff from me and just like put me through a lot of like really traumatic things in a short period of time and just everything kind of happened I think the way that it was supposed to so I went from like wanting this and to like being so mad at her and like wanting this like recognition of like how messed up this actually was. (laughs) Like I wanted her to like just say that she was sorry or that she wished things would have been different. And that wasn't where she was at with things. So did you ever have those withdrawals during the six months that you were in there? Because obviously you can't bring it in, but I mean, (laughs) you could find it probably from someone in that. But did that kind of help have those sober clearing mind thinking moments where you're like reflecting everything that's just happened in the last three years? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say like the withdrawals were probably like that first week. I think after like three days of being in jail, somebody like came and knocked on my door and they're like, you need to get up and eat breakfast. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'll eat lunch. And they're like, it's been like three days since you've eaten. <laughs> like I had just like been sleeping and like just totally dead to the world. And like just that feeling of like emptiness and like inability to even like function. And I was just like, so unhealthy and in such just a rough place. And so that was definitely eye opening for me, but also it is like that clarity of mind and you are in an environment where there's like, it's not a pleasant environment, but there's no 
distractions. Like you're yeah. really just stuck with yourself. <laughs> and so it's like that true self-reflection and true evaluation of like, what is it that I truly want? Did you learn anything about yourself during those six months? Did it teach you or did you find a new like attitude skill that you're like, wow, maybe I needed this to really learn more about me? You know, for me, um, this was, so my recovery journey is like a 10 year journey because it wasn't like a, this is it. I've, I've, <laughs> you'll hear the rest of my story for sure. But this was like the first time that I was like, I don't want to use drugs. And that's what came out of this for me is like, this isn't the lifestyle that I want. I think that I can do better. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do better. I don't know what that looks like for me. I don't even know if it's possible, but I, I know that I don't want to do drugs anymore. So this experience is, um, was paramount in making that shift for me because it was the first time in my life, like even in the trouble that I'd been in as a youth and whatever, it was the first time that like, I didn't want to do drugs. So it's almost like you had full control over what happens and not someone influencing your decision because you needed to do what was best for you. And I think a lot of people can relate, even if it's not in regards to drugs, but maybe a choice that they're doing, like Mm -hmm. something that they're guilty about that's saying, I have to stay away from this because I don't want to put my life in dangers, other people's lives in dangers and focusing on recovery. Yes. Yes. And like, I would love to say like at that point I was in control, um, but I definitely wasn't, Mm -hmm. but it was that first step into um, getting to a place where I was, but there was a lot of growth and a lot of learning that I needed to do to, and just life skills. Like I didn't really have any, (laughs) you know, like I had no idea what I was doing getting out of jail. (laughs) After jail, did you have like that goal, like what you wanted to do for a career or something that you wanted to put your mind to and go accomplish right away? So, no, I got out of jail. Um, and so it was kind of like a situation. They said, you know, you can either go to a halfway house or you can go live with your dad in Rapid City. And my dad, um, which is like on the other side of the state from where I'm at. And so my dad had gotten out of prison at this point and he was doing really well. And so he was like a positive support for me. And so I'm like, well, obviously I'm going to go live with my dad. Like, I don't want to go to a halfway house. That sounds awful. And so I got out there. And at this point, like, I just knew that I didn't want to end up back in jail. And I knew that I didn't want to do drugs. So um, I got out there. I didn't know anybody. I ended up getting in touch with a guy that I'd known from doing drugs who was also just getting out of jail. And he was like, yeah, I don't want to use either blah, 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 blah. And like, as it turns out, I like super hard fell in love with this guy. Like he, he came from a normal family, like where they paid their bills and, you know, functioned and had jobs and like did all the normal stuff. So like, He knew how to like actually function in life, whereas I was just really winging it, just tried my best. And so I and he wanted to be sober, you know, so we had like this mutual goal of not using drugs and changing our lives and whatever. And so I really quickly became like super dependent on him. Um, And so as my like dependency on him grew, like he became kind of my new drug because he was like, 
kind of just helping me through life, helped me to feel good. And, you know, just like all those like good, happy love emotions and whatever. So he was my new addiction. Um, but he also was not near as serious as wanting <laughs> to not <laughs> use drugs as I was. And so, um, you know, for me, it just kind of like, I became wrapped up in this situation. And so I did have, I did have some goals. I started going to school, um, you know, when I was in my early twenties, um, and I kind of just like shifted around like what my major was, but I, I ended up at human services because I knew I wanted to help people. I knew I wanted to, and my minor was addiction studies. I knew I wanted to work with people who struggled with an addiction. Um, and so, but I, I was just in this relationship and like, so he would start using, I would try to stop him. I couldn't stop him. So I did that same pattern that I did with my mom for years where like, I just like jumped in to bond with him because I felt like I was losing him. And then we get in trouble, get it together, start all over, do it all over again. It was just like this cycle. So every couple of years, like just throwing everything away again and starting over and then doing it all over again. So I had goals. Um, but also I had this like new addiction, this relationship that was just really kind of repeating that same pattern with my mom, just with a new person. Did it end up resulting in going back to jail or were you able to not get to that far, (laughs) but it was still a cycle and repeat? (laughs) Well, I would like to say that I didn't end up back in jail, but it was much worse this time. So, um, we were kind of coming off like a, we had a really bad time. Things went really south. Um, and so he was arrested. Um, and so he went to to prison for six months and then he got out and he was on a drug court program. And so during that drug court program, like they're monitored really closely, get a lot of UAs. Like, so things were going really well. So, at this point, I'd been sober for a couple of years. Um, I was just getting ready to like graduate school with my bachelor's. Um, like when he went to prison, like I did so good because I still had him, but he wasn't like there, like actually influencing me. So I grew a lot. Like I grew into a person like it was just another step in the journey. It was like kind of leveling up for me. Um, so he got home and but I was so still so delusional. And so in my mind, I'm like. Okay, I feel like if we have kids, this is going to be the thing that makes him want to not use anymore. And so we we tried for a while naturally, and then we started working with a fertility specialist and, um, you know, did the whole like surgery, medications, like all the stuff for over a year trying to get pregnant. And so I he's gone back to drugs at this point. Like he's using, I'm still desperately like trying to get pregnant to save this relationship, to get him to be sober, like somewhere in my delusional head. And then the doctor, after about a year, he's like, this isn't working. You know, it's time for us to to talk about next steps or other options. And, and so, you know, I'm like full in at this point, but it like gave me that pause to stop and look at like what's actually going on around me. I'm like, I'm trying to have kids with this person (laughs) and I am like working as an addictions counselor and I'm in this relationship. Like, what am I doing? So I left him and I got my own little apartment for my first time, like as an adult. And I, 
um, you know, got a new job that I was super excited about and like just all of these changes. But the thing was, is when I was with him, like I was so dependent on him that I never made any friends. I didn't have any support. I just solely based my life on this one person. And so I was grieving, not being able to have kids. I was grieving the loss of this relationship. I was on a new job. Like things deteriorated for me really quickly, just that loneliness and sadness. And so I kind of got to a place where like, I didn't care what happened to me. Like, I didn't really feel like I had a purpose in life anymore. I just was empty. Um, so, you know, of course I had a few drinks and I called him up and I ended up getting high with him and I packed all my belongings <laughs> after getting high with him. And I moved back across the state because Uh-oh. I'm like, I am not going through this journey with him again. Like, even if I'm going down, we're not doing it together. Um, and so I moved back and, you know, of course my entire family is using at this point. <laughs> and so it wasn't like a supportive environment. And I, I was like, well, now I'm not 19. I can't be like couch surfing anymore. I'm 29. Like I have to, you know, have a place to live and be able to pay some of these bills. And so I made a really smart choice and started selling drugs, you know, naturally. <laughs> and so I, um, I sold drugs for six months. It was six months almost to the day from the day that I relapsed until the day that I was arrested. Um, my door was kicked in by the federal government and I was arrested on a conspiracy to distribute methamphetamine charges. Um, and I was looking at a charge of 10 years to life. And so I was like, okay, all right. So this is the end of the road for me. And so it was an interesting time because I was arrested and then they, you go to court and they say, okay, you can be let out on pretrial release until you get sentenced. So I had a year period of time from the time that I was arrested until I got sentenced. And, um, but like that time for me, I was like, I have to do something different <laughs> because like, I, this is the end of my rope and I don't want to live like this anymore. And like, what are the things that I need to do that I haven't been doing because I am done. Like I am absolutely done and it's time for me to change. And so that year before I went to prison was literally just dedicated to growth and to change and to becoming a new person. I want to ask a question that you kind of brought up and we kind of see nowadays with relationships on TV shows and stories is where you mentioned that you thought a kid would help everything and how it would make him change his mind. And we see so much that happens where that kid happens and it brings even more struggles and challenges for the couple that it's in. Mm. If someone that's listening to this interview is going through that same mindset, they feel that same situation, their relationship, that a kid is going to solve something. What would you tell them in thinking about that decision before they start acting on it? So (laughs) what I can say now is I do have kids now and I have kids with my current husband who is an amazing individual. And I like now that I have kids and like just see how much of a like actual responsibility is and like how tied you are to the person that you have kids with for the rest of your life. Like, thank God I didn't have kids in that situation. Like I've watched 
my sister um, go through a really similar situation where she had kids and now the dad's in prison and, you know, like doing that whole thing. And now she's like, (laughs) now she's stuck, you know, with that being the parent of her child. And like, how do I even explain this? So it definitely does not have that (laughs) positive life changing effect by any means. And it definitely shows that, I mean, there's single amazing single mothers out there or single mm-hmm. fathers, but when you have that combined force, it makes it even stronger and the kids see it too, where mm. they don't know what's going on at a young age. And even coming from a divorced family where I was three or four when I, my parents got divorced and not really knowing what was going on, when you see those parents together you see the powerful that it is. And that's such a topic. And I know people that I know are going to know where I'm referencing because of TV shows that I watch, but it's such a true thing that people are challenged with is they do certain things and it's maybe not even kids. It might be a vacation might be the reason to keep a marriage going, renewing their vows because they feel that, oh, that's going to change how their marriage is and things like that. So it's even that same concept works in so many different ways. And from someone that's went through that and almost mm-hmm. had that moment happen for them, it's very honoring for someone to listen to that. Yeah. Well, and it's true. And the funny thing about it is, is like, I don't even know that what I was doing was on a conscious level at that point. Like it's in that retrospect, like yeah. that I'm like, you know, so I wonder if it is like, just like one of those things that like this thing is going to just make everything better. And it's like that belief somewhere kind of under the surface that you can't quite touch or recognize at that point. As a coach, what's the biggest thing or what's your main mission when you're helping a client? What from what they're struggling to recovery and things like that? What is your goal and what are you hoping to accomplish with them? Mm, Great question. Um, So as a coach, I would say that probably my main goal with anybody is that connection piece, Mm -hmm. because I feel like that is like the underlying basis for any change or work that happens in that relationship. So trying to find that connection, but also like, I really just want to empower them. And so as an organization, Face It Together really believes like we're not here to like determine what those goals are. We want you to determine what those are. And we really want to listen and hear because, you know, when it comes to addiction, a lot of times there's so many people telling you what your goals should be. Yep. But I really want to hear what your goals actually are. I want to just empower the people, you know. Do you feel when they create the goals, they're more positive and wanting to achieve them than someone choosing that goal and they're not feeling worthwhile to go for it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I definitely feel like that. And the funny thing is, is like, so we, we believe in harm reduction. So, you know, if somebody doesn't want to quit drinking, they want to cut back or if somebody wants to quit using meth, but not quit smoking pot. Um, it's if we, if I allow them to have that goal and process through that, it's interesting because a lot of times, you know, I'll find people that are like, we're, we're doing the work, we're getting there. And eventually like, they don't want to use any substances at all because they're feeling better. They're feeling empowered. And maybe it, it's like, they're realizing like, oh, I, you know, this cutting back on drinking thing isn't really working to accomplish mm-hmm. the goals that I want. Let's actually maybe just, I'm okay, not drinking. So it's just like, I, I just think it's really empowering for people. And you're right. Then they stick to their goals a lot more too. <laughs> 
Do you feel from your challenges and struggles that you face that you can connect more with these individuals because you've gone through the trenches and rise to the challenge? Yes. You know, I I had a, a new client today. Um, we call our clients members. So I had a new member today. And, you know, I kind of had some of her background and history and she's just a very reserved person. And so, um, you know, I was like, okay, I hope I can connect with this person. Like, I, I hope that we can like actually get some work done. And the funny thing was, is like, we just got in there and we kind of just went around about way. And like, I had her, I had her laughing and like, I got to like help her not feel ashamed about her story because I've been there and I've done that. And so I think that's like the most powerful thing about like having my own personal experience is like, I can get in that room and I can be (laughs) just as trashy as you are because I've been there and you want to know what I'm okay. Like I'm at a good place now. So there's hope for you because I've been there as well. So far listening to your story, when you were younger, you mentioned having that role as a caretaker for your kid, for your siblings and your mom. Looking Mm -hmm. at the position you're now in, you kind of are fitting in that role of a caretaker where you're helping people. You're helping Mm -hmm. them overcome addictions, recovery, struggles, and things like that. Are you you fascinated by that full circle where before it did not feel like a position you wanted to be in, but Mm -hmm. it's now your calling to help others and fulfill that role? It's interesting because like so many people that have been through addiction have like been through so much trauma and, you know, trauma sucks. And there's a lot of negative things that come with trauma, but also like going through traumatic experiences. I'm like, okay, so you went through that. And like, this is the way that it's negatively affecting you. But like, what superpower did you develop from going through that? Because I guarantee you developed a superpower going through some of that stuff. And so for me, that this is my superpower. Like I connect with people. I can, I'm very empathetic. I have just a way of being able to understand where people are at and what it is that they're trying to communicate. And so, yeah, it was a curse, like going through it and having that way so much on me, but like now it is so fulfilling because I'm using the junk for Mm. something good. Your husband, have you been able to be open with him about your story and tell him exactly what you've gone through so that he maybe is aware of certain things and things like that? Because a lot of times when people meet someone, they're afraid to tell them because they will be judged. They will run away. They don't want anything to be associated with that person. Obviously, Mm -hmm. he's with you still. So (laughs) he has been that support system for you. Here's a funny story. So remember that year that I talked about before I went to prison? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I met him in that year. Oh. And so he knew I was going to prison. (laughs) I threw all my junk out there and he fell in love with me anyways and married me. And he literally walked through that whole prison journey with me. And he, it was a three hour drive to the prison where I was at. And he came to see me every weekend for those three years. Like he was just so amazing and so supportive. And, um, you know, it is, it has been so relieving and I'm glad that I met him when I was at that vulnerable time. So, cause I don't know, like if I, if I would have entered a relationship at this point in my life, Mm -hmm. like 
if I would have been able to like share that much vulnerability about the situation, but like he met me at one of my most vulnerable points. And so he's really just been on this (laughs) journey with me. So yeah. (laughs) That's amazing that, I mean, he's seen you through the ground bottom and still wanted to be a part of your life in some capacity. And now you're where you are today with him. It's yeah, it's crazy. I often like just give him a hard time. I'm like, what's actually wrong with you? <laughs> you're like, oh, it's just going to prison. She's the one I want. <laughs> As your kids get older, will you be able to be open with them about your story? Because are you trying to focus on not having that cycle that you went through, but be making sure that they are not in that similar situation, but being open and telling them can't do this. I'm a mother. I can't be your friend at this point. Mm -hmm. So definitely like, I I believe in like age appropriate disclosure. (laughs) And so, I mean, I don't, I don't think that there is all of the parts of my story that I will tell my kids, but I think that, you know, I want them to have an understanding of like what addiction is. Um, And I want them to have an understanding of the risks that they run for becoming a, you know, an addict. And I just want them to like, I want them to have, to be able to make an informed decision because I don't believe that addiction is necessarily genetic, but I think you can have a genetic predisposition to addiction, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just be like brain chemistry and all of that stuff. And so I want them to know, like, if you choose to, to use drugs, like you are probably at a higher risk for becoming addicted because of my addiction. And so I really want them to understand that. Um, but you know, definitely age appropriate, but also like, I think for me, the biggest thing that like, I want to instill in them, like, I want them to understand coping skills and I want them to understand like, how to be able to like express your emotions and process through things. And like, I just want them to feel supported in ways that I didn't. And I always think about when I went to treatment, there was a lady that worked there and she's like, you know, I have never done drugs, but both of my parents are in recovery. And she goes, I feel like I'm in recovery too, just because like growing up, that was the lifestyle we lived. And so because of that, I grew up a really healthy person. And so that was before I had kids, but that stuck with me. And so that was so impactful because that's what I want for my kids. Like I want them living a wellness journey. Like I just want them well and, you know, able to make good, healthy decisions. So. So now we'll talk about the fun part about Katie. What do you like to do for fun nowadays? What is some goal that you want to accomplish for yourself personally, not professionally? Okay. (laughs) That is so funny because we do like icebreakers every week at work. And like, (laughs) they asked that that question the other day and I was like, I started typing something up and I'm like, Oh, that's school related. Cause I'm working on my master's. I'm like, that's not really the answer. That's kind of still work related, professional, whatever. Um, I'm a very goal focused person, (laughs) but I, for me, what I like to do for fun, like some goals that I have is, um, so I love dogs. I'm I'm a very much a dog person. I love like getting out, like doing hiking, like nature, things like that. Um, and so we have two great Danes. And so we, 
you know, we have a, a beautiful yard, like everything is great here, but like, I just feel like it would be ideal if we could just like get a nice little acreage and, you know, kind of have room for the dogs to run. And then I was like, you know, actually, like, I feel like someday I would just like to have like a dog boarding, like doggy daycare, like, you know, just get to like have all these dogs come and stay and like have this beautiful place for them. And like for the, the pet owners to like, know that while they're on vacation, their dogs are very well taken care of. And so, I mean, that's kind of (laughs) still a professional goal. I mean, not really that professional. It's kind of like a, a side thing, but like, you know, just, I, that way I don't have to own 50 dogs, but I can still <laughs> love all the dogs <laughs> and, you know, like just be able to share that with my kids and like, you know, help them like have that sense of responsibility and, and then just like the space of having like 10 acres to yourself. That's yours. You know, do you have like a dream hiking area trail that you it's on your bucket list to go do? Ooh, that's a really great question. So, um, I, so I lived out in like the Black Hills area for a long time and that was like where I fell in love with hiking because there's so many beautiful places to go hiking. And so I've never been like, um, like backpacking hiking, but I, I want to, (laughs) so (laughs) they have a trail out there called the Centennial Trail and it's like just a little over a hundred miles. And so, I would like to um, be able to hike that all someday. So just like, just, just do it. (laughs) I've been getting a lot into hiking. Uh, My friend introduced me to it. And then now I'm like, anytime I go on a vacation, anywhere I go in the state that I'm in, I'm like, where's a trail? But I'm so picky where it's got to have water somehow because I need like a stream, a river, a lake. And so I'll find these places that, and I'm like looking at photos. Okay. What's in this spot? Does it have water? Okay. I'm going there (laughs) because I'm all about taking photos of these destination spots Mm -hmm. because you see like the beauty of it in its natural state. And then I'm all that person. Oh, I got to get my Instagram photo or something, (laughs) but it's just so relaxing and rewarding that I get. And so I'm wanting to travel and go to all these like tropical places because you just see their natural state and beauty and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, got to get that pay raise to go afford all those. But I'm planning on doing like road trips and my friend oh, yeah. wants to do that. Go on road trips, find these trails and go hike. Colorado mm-hmm. would be like amazing as much as there's water, but going up in those mountains would be like mm-hmm. so nice. But I'm not a cold person. So <laughs> so just make sure you go in the summer. <laughs> yeah. Summer is the only time I'll go to Colorado. But I will say I love skiing, though. And you Were got you? Yeah. for that. And that's just so much fun to me. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I don't mind skiing, but I'm definitely a fair weather girl as well. I live in South <laughs> Dakota. And like, I mean, it was like 23 degrees today and like, that's kind of warm for this time of year. So, I mean, you would think that if for hating winters as much as I do, I would be gone, but I'm still here. Here I am. (laughs) The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? So you know, based on my story and just like everything that I've been through, if I look back over the history of my life, like 
the one thing that I didn't do until it was almost too late was reach out for help. You know, it is okay to not be okay. And there are so many people that are willing to support you. If you just allow yourself to just that like moment of vulnerability to be like, Hey, how did you do this? Or what maybe it should I try? Or can you just listen to me for a little bit? (laughs) You know, like just reach out for help. There's so many people out there that are just willing to, um, to support you, you know? And so people don't generally view you as weak and people generally like to help. So it's a win-win situation. Well, Katie, okay. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Tune in next time here my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide. <laughs>